industrialists and techno bros. Pack yourself a lovely little pasty luncheon, polish the cage for your digital canary, and dive headfirst into the crypto mines as did your forefathers before ye. Yo, because it's time to talk tall to me. Download tall. Dude. Do you even do you even crypto? Dude. The podcast is going directly into my microserver. Megabyte. <laughs> Welcome back. I am Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this, my dear friends, is Talk Tall to Me. A disruptive new technology in the global industry of prog rock in which Nickel Cadmium Nick McGill and Omen Operating System Sade will upgrade our CPU by downloading directly into our intrabrain every gigabyte of music that agro-futurist rock band Jethro Tull ever produced. We will compute with delight the data stream of megahertz Martin Barr, process the intricate codes of JavaScript's John Evans, and blast our bandwidth with Barrymore Bluetooth Barlow. And someday... With enough software updates, we hope to eventually have the raw processing power to understand the beautiful binary of Ian Adobe Acrobat Reader Anderson. Speaking of which, I really gotta increase the cybersecurity around my back end. I, uh, I unzipped my server last night and got spammed with malware. As an IT professional, I am very concerned at what you just told me. <laughs> As your friend, I am even more concerned at what you just told me. I, I've tried plugging it and unplugging it a bunch of times. It's, it just didn't work. It was great. I had, it, a, wonderful, it was, I had a wonderful evening. But. Yeah. Had a couple drinks. <laughs> Nick, hello. Hello, Oban. Good Welcome morning. back to the podcast. To you, fair listener. Welcome again. Thank you for visiting us week after week. We are darn near the end of Stormwatch. Is this indeed the last bonus track off of Stormwatch, Nick, or have we any more? We've got this? one more after this. Oh, my this goodness. Is our penultimate bonus track. We are going to be talking urban apocalypse today. Wow. But before we go into the the bright and sunny future that is urban apocalypse, we're gonna we're gonna do a little email here. Marley, if you if you don't mind, could you bring this over, please? Marley. Yeah, here be your email and I'll give you here is a bouquet. Marley, thank you. That's that's very sweet. The nettles are blooming very pleasantly this afternoon. They are. Is it, that must be why you're itching profusely. Yeah. Hey, okay. Don't get too close to the bouquet. Yeah, you leave that in the corner and go take an oatmeal bath. Uh, after I finish recording, I'll check on you. Slather me with calamine <laughs> lotion. If you play your cards right, I just might. That's that's the the phrase. Make me pink. That's uh, that's where that comes from. I. <laughs> Not familiar with that phrase. No, What's never, the content never of the heard email that? that you just received there? This is from a, a new writer in her. What? Johnny A. Subject is new listener wants to say great work. Oh. Johnny says, hey guys, stumbled upon a tall episode when searching for the too old album on Amazon Music which I listened to in the past, but had since removed. 
I was a big, tall fan in my teenage years in the 70s and did catch a few live performances before and during Songs from the Wood tour. Wow. From time to time, I will listen to the older stuff. Never got into the post-70s releases, and I'm still amazed at how good he, they were. Don't get me started on the Hall of Fame snubbing. Yes, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame still does not have Jethro Tull in it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Shame on them. Anyway, I do own the too old album, and it was an interesting story on how it was acquired. So this is kind of a jumpstart, not quite. Back in the days before CDs, there was a weekly Columbia House ad added to each Sunday newspaper. And for the price of a single penny, you could have a bunch of records shipped to you. Wow. The fine print was a promise to later buy a set number at retail price. My brother and I, as a joke, ordered a bunch of records for my 10-year-old brother. (laughs) One of these was the MU Best of Tull. I don't think we really thought it through and really didn't plan on any further purchases. Well, wouldn't you know, but they kept sending new albums each month because we never followed through on their monthly mailer. Anyway, one of the deliveries was the Too Old to Rock and Roll album, along with Aerosmith's Rocks, a double delivery that month. We played the heck out of it, not knowing how much it was panned by the critics, so to this day, it brings back fond memories. So I'm just now going back and listening to more of your Tull songs, and I have to say, I really enjoy the podcasts. You guys are doing an amazing job, and it was so good to see that Ian directly got back to you to answer some questions. So cool. Finally, of the four podcasts I've listened to, I heard there were Western New York references. Oswego, Darien Lake, and Hamlin, the one near Rochester. I believe Nick may be from the area, and it makes the show that much more enjoyable. Keep up that great work, Johnny A. That's the first time that Central or Upstate New York has ever made anything more enjoyable for anyone. (laughs) So yes, I I did respond to him and say that you were from Mexico. I was from Weedsport. Mm -hmm. I'm currently in Marietta. He asked, do we pronounce it soda or pop? How do you, it's soda, right? I pronounce it the devil's sugar sauce. Oh yeah. Poison. Straight, straight up poison. I but. never had it in the house growing up, so um, yeah. But I think I think it was we always called it soda pop. Is more of like a Western New York thing. That's Buffalo, right? I think that's a, buf- yeah, a Buffalo so. thing. Yeah, that's pretty Western. Andy actually grew up in the in the Syracuse area, and he oh, has no kidding. yeah. So he has he he has family around here. He currently lives in Hanoi, which you oh yeah, isn't Hanoi that where your you, yeah your dad used to oh, live no, there? No, Hanoi. Right? Yeah, yeah. That, I I used to stay in that area. Well, thank you so much for the email. That's wonderful. It's so exciting that you've discovered the podcast. If we can provide an excuse or a tickle for you to listen to more Jethro Tull, then we are doing our job. That's it for the email from Johnny. Again, thank you so much. Uh, We encourage all of our listeners to write in. Tell us your your jump starts. Let us know how you got exposed to Tull. Let us know how you found the podcast. We love hearing all that stuff. And one more thing right before we dive into the song, stay tuned, as if I have to tell you, but stay tuned to the end because we've got a little bit of a, a Patreon news uh, development here. We've got, we've got an, an announcement for you. That's right. At the very end of this program, we will announce a new exciting feature of the Patreon. Nick, what are we listening to? What do we have the privilege of listening to and then talking tall about today? This week, we are talking... Urban Apocalypse. Ooh, now, Nick, this is a new song oh, for me. I have never put it in my ears. Me. So fresh, so fresh, so fresh, so fresh, so fresh. 
That's right. I forgot about that. This is exciting. So for those of you who are also lending your virginal ear canals to this song, you can uh, join up with Omen and experience it for the first time. For the rest of you, get ready for your sagging ear holes to once again receive the turgid sound that is Urban Apocalypse. Holy banana stacks, Batman. That's uh, that's a ride. That was a ride. That was an, a ride on the, the, the back of the horse that the horseman is crying from. It is hectic. It is frantic. It is electric. It, yes. And more things that rhyme with that. It, it, it's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. Yeah, there is. May I give you my so this is uh this is obviously the first time I've ever listened to this song. Can I give you my 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 hot take? <laughs> hoot. My hoot take. Yeah, please. What do you think? First time. Not what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting. But I think when I heard the title Urban Apocalypse, I th- I sort of thought, "Oh boy, here we go. Here's some kind of dr- you know, here's some kind of a, a drudging dirge." Sure. About oh, things aren't as good as they used to be. Uh, and I was not, I, I, you know, it it was totally a, uh, it tricked me. Yeah. And and then and then when I, you know, when the when John Evans' gorgeous sort of semi classical, oh, man, I could listen to him play all day. I know, right? And probably if he had been allowed to, he would have played all day. <laughs> yes, I feel that 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 feels accurate. Yeah. You just have to you just place him in front of the piano, and then you have to physically remove him of the piano. To get him to stop playing. Yeah, even when he's not in front of a piano, his hands are moving. Oh yeah, they yeah. just had they just had a rope, <laughs> a pulley the, system. <laughs> uh, the roadies would pull the piano away from him yep. when they when his you know when his part was over. Yep. No one has gone through as many pianos as John Evans has. The budget for hand cages was immense on those tours. Yeah, eventually it just made more sense to just get more pianos. Yeah. Yeah. But that intro really takes you. Take took me into a different world, something I was really not expecting. And yeah. then from there, the whole band coming in was a whole new thing that I wasn't expecting. I, I love this song. I think it's great. It's very, very good. It's very, very good. It, the, that, like you said, that John Evans piano and Ian's flute coming in, it's very sweet and kind of light and lilting in that opener. Then, then when that that guitar, that really hectic, crazy guitar, and everybody else breaks in, we've got the drums and bass, and and the the piano organ is very strong in this song. Yeah, I was going to say the piano goes from that light to he he flops it over to the organ side, and it's it's very effective. Well, and it may actually be that D is on the organ. Oh, sure, okay, and, and that and that John Evans stays on the piano. Does is there piano throughout? I think I lost it. It could be. We definitely have lots of organ. I don't yeah. think that we do have piano. I think that the piano is in the beginning and then it's and then it's out. You know, maybe there are, maybe we do have both D and John on 
different organs or different, you know, one on an organ, one on a synth. Yeah. But no, the piano sets it up and then goes away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it feels that, that sweet, nice starting sound, that intro is very, very like it sets the scene of, of a comfortable, happy life in the suburbs. And then, and then the chaos begins. Yeah. It almost, you know, for me, the experience was like, I think if, if, the song just dove straight in with the post piano bit. Yeah. I wouldn't be as open to the material. Right. Absolutely. I think the piano kind of draws your attention, kind of brings you in, op- gets you to open up emotionally. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. Yeah. It sets you up to feel that, that change in tone as opposed to just right. going in with the understanding that there was a change in tone, but you didn't experience it. You're starting later in the story. Right, right, right. Yeah. I think it, yeah, it, it lulls you into a sense of openness and then smacko. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can we, can we, speaking of smacko, can we talk about that, that guitar sting? Please, let's talk about that guitar sting. Yeah. It's so tasty. It's so substantial. Every time it comes in, it, it's, it's very satisfying to me. I really, really like Martin's guitar in this. You know, I know that there were tensions in the band and like, obviously this was, this was the point right before the real breaking point, which of course was catalyzed by the tragic death of, of John Glasscock. Uh But you know, I have a sense of fun from the musicians in this song. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, It must be Ian on the bass, but he's tearing it up. Yeah. He's doing a great job. He is, he is no slouch on the bass. substantially funky yeah we also just have so many cool riffs that are coming from the organ from the guitar from the flute barrymore is is really driving everything along with yeah with the sense of style nick the rhythms in this song are baffling to me i i couldn't even begin to really understand the time signature it's yeah i'm i'm gonna keep going back to to the the term hectic. It's such a very hectic song. It feels that way, absolutely. But it's it's all incredibly tightly structured. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean it is it is tall in its its truest regard of Yes. We are gonna be manic and all over the place, but everybody's playing their part exactly the way they ought to be playing their part. Yeah. And you know, in some songs you can be like, oh, it's four four, but then they switch to three four for this measure. This? Oh my gosh, I can't. I think there there are a couple different things going on. I think that like in some parts there's some there's some kind of, you know, standard time like a 4/4 or 2/2. Okay. But in those sections there the different musicians are playing kind of different rhythms that mm. like J-Man Silo has talked about that kind of once in a while they'll sync up but then Yeah. You know, they are they they sort of they disassociate from each other for a while and then they eventually come back together on the same note. So there's that polyrhythm going on. Yeah. There's also there are also some massive tempo changes in here. Mm. When we have the the verses one, two, three, four, da 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 It's that, you know, kind of a steady, relatively slow beat. Uh-huh. But then when we go into the the breakdowns. It goes from one, two, three, 
four, two, one, two, three. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't even think you know. Sometimes it's sometimes you get that illusion from things just being sort of doubled. You know, the time right. the time being doubled. Sure. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think they're actually just jump into another BPM essentially. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is this feels very proggy. This feels like a lot of Tull, I think, and I hope I don't don't burn any biscuits when I say this. A lot oh, of you Tull, have already <sighs> toasted my biscuits with your statement. And I don't even know what it is. A gentle toasting only. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull these biscuits out of the oven before you keep going. Slather some butter on there, let it melt in. That's right. A lot of Tull is prog light, I think. Oh. When you think when you think of some of the like the really heavy prog bands, when you think of like and and maybe maybe these are not even really that heavy, but when I think of Rush or or Gentle Giant or King Crimson, things like that, those are like you need to sit and absorb that. At least I don't want to say at least, but but with Tull's music, it's you it's more approachable, I think. Mm. It's a gentler ease into prog. This song is not. This is this is uber prog. Uh, yes, okay, I, I agree. So I have less experience with those bands, which is something that I am embarrassed to have even just said now. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of experience with them either because they're so gosh darn proggy. I will be speaking to my therapist yes. about the fact that I haven't listened to Crimson King. Oh, what about King Crimson? I'll go with Chris Kringle. Okay, there you go. <laughs> or a Crinkly Krampus. Or a Krispy Kreme donut. <laughs> yeah, hi. I would go for one of those right now. <laughs> but I do agree that on the on the spectrum of Tull, this is on definitely the the progier side. Yeah, yeah. One thing that I love about this song is Ian singing in general. Yeah, uh-huh. he's he's at the top of his range. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. But there's there's a desperation there. There's like, I have to get this point across and nobody's been listening the last 10 years. So I'm going to start screaming now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He he is sort of the the rider, the horseback rider running through town being like, the British are coming, but they're us. Oh, no. <laughs> the, the world is burning. The sky is falling. The British right. are coming. Two if by air, one if by sea, or two if by land, rather. Two. <laughs> To fight air. Yes, they were in Zeppelins at the time. But also there's one specific riff that I just adore. When he first sings Riding Back to Yesterday, he does this chromatic run down the scale. Riding back to yesterday. Now we're riding back to yesterday. So he's hitting each of, you know, on the piano, he's hitting both the white and the black yeah. Keys. He's hitting every single half step on the way down. O.M. frickin' Jeebus. I yeah. love it. Yeah. The Not that it ever really seems to be that way in prior pieces, but the singing is it was not an afterthought here. It was not like this is he's really using his full instrumentation on this. Well, and I, I agree. And, you know, I think that we've we've seen a lot on this album of him doing that that doubled technique where one of the voices is kind of down here. Yeah. And then he sings at his comfortable range. Yeah. Right, right, right. And like, I love that. I think that's so cool. I think it's very unique. But I I think that in my feelings. <laughs> tell me, Omen, tell me your feelings. I'm talking a lot about my, about my feelings on this episode. 
I have missed perhaps him just kind of belting it out. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a real treat. It's I feel it's been a while. Yeah. Because he can do it. Yeah. And I think some of it does have to do with the delivery of the information that is this song. Mm. Of the content, you know? It it is there is desperation there. Well, Having spoken about the music, is there anything else that we want to add before we dive into that content? I just want to say I really dig the breakdown in here. Yes, I, I oh feel like gosh. the breakdown could have been more of the same. It could have been less badass than the 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 main body of the song, but it's really darn good. Yeah. It's really, it really starts, good. The level of badassery with this song starts very high. And maintains that trajectory yeah yeah exactly they keep turning it up just when you think like oh please the ass could not get any badder just when you think your ass could be no badder so last week i hinted at probably poorly worded i hinted at this having like a long and storied past this song oh okay this song the longevity of this song has lasted far longer than i'm sure ian ever would have imagined or wanted Go on. This was 79, right? This was around Stormwatch time. Right, the recording process for Stormwatch. So in 1981, post-breakup of the band, right? Pre-Brexit. Pre-Brexit, post-breakup of Tull. Yep. Post-Tulxit. Dee Palmer got together with a group of gentlemen, John Evans, David Bristow, Bill Worrell, and Mickey Barker. And okay. put together a little band called Talus. Yes. Now we've sort of chatted about Talus a little bit. We've we've hinted a little bit at Talus. It was they wanted to bring in. They considered bringing in John Glasscock before right before things happened. They considered bringing in John Glasscock, Barrymore Barlow guests on the oh interesting on the the recording as well. But this was it, this was recorded at Maison Rouge, you know, so it's not that disconnected from Tull. But this was recorded in 81, and track number two is Urban Apocalypse. Really? Yep. And D put out this album, Talus, in 2021. Re- recorded in 81. Sat on it for 40 years. She finally released it. And her blurb about Urban Apocalypse is, this was written in 1979 for Tull's Stormwatch, but it didn't make the cut. It clearly needed more time, which, regrettably, we didn't have. And after all, three of us were on the way to the scaffold anyway. Oh. Yeah. So uh, so many interesting things. Do we get, shall we listen to the, the clip of the talus now? Yeah. You know, I am actually so surprised that this isn't on... Stormwatch proper. It feels like it's a little heavier than most of Stormwatch, but I think it would fit on side B. I really do. I I just think it's such a cool song. And and in terms of the playing of it, I mean, now the other thing is that we're listening to the Steve Wilson remix. Right. So maybe there were recording elements at the time which which weren't satisfactory that that have since with technology been kind of fixed. Could have been doctored, yeah. I'm fascinated to hear what the Talus version sounds like. Yeah, let's let's listen to D's cover of it, or D's version of it, I suppose. Oh, the ringing cry of Pergus Sang the horseman riding by 
So there's also track number track number nine on the on this album is Urban Apocalypse without voice. So it's all just the instrumentation. Oh wow! Yeah, for the karaoke version of Urban Apocalypse, right? If you really so popular, bring your own CD to the karaoke parlor. But on top of all of that, yeah, in twenty was it twenty or twenty twenty one. D's solo album Through Darkened Glass yes. also had this song on it. What? Yeah. Hope the ringing cry of progress Sang the horsemen riding by We've wasted all the good God gave us And we're riding back to yesterday that's like the Stephen Sondheim version of it. Yeah, she clearly pulled it into the song, the title track, Through Darkened Glass. Wow. Yeah. And I just, I had a mind-blowing moment. I read the inside of the Talis album cover here. Yeah. And it says, This is, however, only the beginning. All funds raised through sales of this album will be put toward the ultimate goal of realizing a full studio recording of The Water's Edge. What? A ballet score written by Dee Palmer, Ian Anderson, and Martin Barr, which was performed only a few times in 1979. People go to a New Day Records or go to MsDPalmer.com. That's that's Dee's record company and and her website. Buy this album so we can get The Water's Edge. I worth the the purchase of this CD. Yeah, I'm going to go as soon as we're done recording and and purchase that because I want to hear the water a water's the water's Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's also if you're not already on our mailing list, email a new day at btinternet.com if anybody wants to get on that mailing list. See what they got going on. So Nick, this reminds me of when Gandalf says to Frodo, "Tis a dangerous thing stepping out onto the road. You never know where it might take you." So when Dee left the band, she didn't realize that she would be revisiting Urban Apocalypse so many times? No, I think when I listened to Urban Apocalypse, I didn't oh. realize all the things that it was connected to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it clearly it clearly resonated with Dee. Well, and I suspect that there must be some level on which Dee felt some kind of artistic ownership or or artistic responsibility for this song. Sure. Otherwise, she wouldn't have... It seems doubtful to me that she would have put so much work into it. After the fact, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Post her her time with Tull. But let's let's sort of return to the to the nugget at hand. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk lyrics now, yeah? Let's talk lyrics. In our Tull cabinet... Yes. We have various file folders. Mm-hmm. And I think this one sits solidly in the the world is very bad and getting worse folder. Right. Subheading Stormwatch, essentially. Subheading Stormwatch, subheading environmental degradation through the Industrial Revolution. Right. Through the processes of the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. It's a look at, at life at a life that gets crushed under capitalism. And it, it's not just the environment that's suffering now. It's it's everything and everyone. That's right. I mean, not super opaque, actually, the lyrics on this. For for me, I think, at, at least, maybe maybe others would have a different experience. And, and, you know, by the same token, sometimes we look at lyrics and we're like, what the hell does that yeah. mean? And someone else is like, oh, obviously it's Yeah, this. it's just the last man at the party. Just someone wish me a happy new year. Right. <laughs> right. But, I mean, we have Halt the Ringing Cry of Progress. Halt! 
That's very clear. Stop. Yeah. Stop doing the things. Stop. You, you think you're making progress. You think life is getting better and better, but put a stop to it. Well, and that's interesting. You know, often we have Ian's critique of modernism is very tongue in cheek, very kind of caged in multiple interpretation or very observational. Uh-huh. Here it's stop. Yeah. Fair enough. It is imperative. Like we, there's no room, there's no wiggle room here. You know, and he creates the the character of the horseman. Right. So it's not him. It's in theory, not Ian saying directly, stop the ringing cry of progress. It's the horseman, the horseman of warning. But still, that almost makes it more powerful. That ties perfectly into the apocalypse part, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They're the the harbinger. They're the ones who show up before the apocalypse happens. That should have been blazingly obvious to me and yet somehow <laughs> really horseman is like like the key word there context clues omen <laughs> it rang a bell but but i but i was like what? yeah that's a guy on a horse what's yeah that bell? what's that bell i hear a bell i hear a bell is that a bell is it my dinner bell i'm hungry i'm, I'm salivating now i think that you know you kind of hit the nail on the head with they've used up all the good god gave us I think that that is not only an environmental, but also a moral factor. Yeah, because once once you get that ball rolling in terms of using up resources or or being in a position of power to make these decisions, yes. once you reach that brink of, well, we better stop or we're going to start harming the land, it's too late. Yes. A- and also, I think there's this there's this steady move toward... Oh, well, they're just workers, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you know, they can take more. They, yeah. They're asking to work. Yeah. Cogs in the machine. If they don't work, someone else will. They need if it. If we don't allow these eight-year-olds to work in the factory, those eight-year-olds aren't going to be able to make a, make money and support their parents. We're giving them a job. <laughs> exactly. What good are they getting in school? I mean, come on. There's this steady undermining of 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 humanity. And yeah. You see it today. I mean, you know, look at the. I don't know why this is on my mind recently, but the whole debate around uber and like sure it's this massive corporation who are making money off of uh independent contractors right yeah the gig economy and they've done everything they can to keep them as independent contractors and not have them be employees because that would mean they would have to acknowledge in a sense their humanity more well it's not just uber i mean it's the exact same thing I hope nobody's listening, but Raven is doing that in that exact same position for AT&T, the biggest telecom company in the world. Mm. And they're doing the same thing. It's the model. It's the modern model. Yeah. Everyone, all the all companies want to make as much money as they can and give as little as they, as little as they can get away with to the people who are actually doing the work. Yeah. Because that's how you make money. Because that's how you make a staggering stack of money. Yeah. Yeah, the a Scrooge McDuck's vault worth of money that you can go swimming in. Yeah. Whew. So that's where we start. Yeah. And then, you know, the rest of it is pretty pretty stark, I would say. Yeah. I don't know if we need yeah. to go line by line. I, I I do I do want to talk about the second verse. I do too. Yep. That's I think there's okay. there's some great layering in that second verse. Okay, so turn the tables in the temples. Turn the tables in the temples. First of all, I think that we have to, like your, like you saw so clearly, the horseman is, you know, uh, in in relation to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh-huh. I think the temples makes me immediately think of the the story from the Bible of 
Jesus throwing the moneylenders out of the temples. Well, literally flipping their tables. Like he yes, flips yes, yes. the tables and spills their money. So turn the table right. in the temples. And the reason he did that was because in the Bible for Mr. J, by whom I do not mean the Joker. Not the Joker. In the DC comics. Yeah. Although he's sort of an interesting anti-capitalist figure. <laughs> we can explore that, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we can explore that on our other podcast. Dissect DC to me. Oh, I, I'd be willing to do that. But Jesus was like, well, this is immoral. You can't lend money and you can't make money by lending money and then getting people into debt for your own profit. Yeah. That's absurd. And especially you're doing it in a holy space. Yeah. Get the heck out of here. Yeah. Is that, that's where it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than a rich man than in a rich heaven. Man into heaven. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. You know, interesting little tidbit about that. My grandfather was a, a camel. Um, my grandfather was a camel. <laughs> he fit through the eye of a needle so easily. Massive needle. Yeah. Big one. No, he was a linguist amongst other things. He was, did a lot of stuff, but he, he found, he retranslated some of that, that particular line. And he found that a better that there had been a mistranslation at some point. And so the original was, it's easier to fit a rope through the eye of a needle. Huh. Rope Which makes a rope lot more camel. sense because it's like a thread, a rope yeah. is a big version of a thread. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and like a camel through an eye of a needle, like, yeah, it's big, it doesn't work. But like the idea of trying to fit a rope through a needle, through the eye of a needle. It translates. It makes- It makes more yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, That's anyway. interesting. That's interesting. But also turn the tables- in the temples, turn to turn the tables. Oh, how the tables have turned. Yeah, to turn the advantage to your own from someone who had that advantage. Right. And further in this verse here, we see, we get an idea of the temples that he's referring to. The Holy Trinity. Of life assurance, which is a type of insurance, and all insurance is kind of a racket unless they actually treat people like... Legitimate things. Yeah. General Motors and Silicon Efficiency. So these are the temples now that we worship at. And because we worship and we we give our money to car companies and tech companies and insurance companies, we are that is that is how we worship there. That is how we pray. And because we are praying there, we are obviously giving them the power. They hold all yes. the power. And also that that idea of a trinity in this sense gives me the the feeling of you know being pinched between the the physical industry, the digital industry, and the, you know, the price of living, which is yeah. like you're, you know, there's all these things that you pay for that are not essential to being alive. Right. Yeah. Like a cell phone. Yeah. You don't need a cell phone to grow a tomato, but you need a cell phone to operate in the modern world. Right. Exactly. How, how disconnected do you want to be and how feasible, particularly at this point in the game, not, not this point, the point of the, the song, but you and me, like how feasible is it to be completely disconnected and off the grid? If we lived on a farm up in the, the Appalachian Trail somewhere and, and had everything that we needed. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but that kind of choice is becoming more and more and more difficult. And that's the choice that it, that the horseman is kind of demanding. Right. Saying, Let's leave all of this. Yeah. Turn the tables, burn it down. Let's get out of this because we are, 
This is this is our last chance. It seems the race is run, no prize you lose. The race is run, no prize you lose. That's very powerful. It's like we're all running this race under the assumption that there's some kind of reward for running it. Yeah, there's no reward. <laughs> yeah, just, right. Just lose. The winners are that holy trinity, and they're not even in the race. Exactly. Ugh. Yeah. This is very a very revolutionary song. I, it I'm is that I had never heard this song before. And I can see why D is so into it. Yeah, I hadn't heard it. I hadn't heard this version before I heard it in Through Darkened Glass. Mm. When I heard those stings, I was like, where have I heard this before? This sounds super familiar. And thank goodness those stings translated between Talus and D's work as well. Yeah. They're so potent. They're so good. I want to skip to, to a line in the next verse. Sure. Let reason reassume its seat. Mm. Now, I think that there is both a – I think that that line for me both represents a, a logical fallacy and a very interesting historical perspective. Okay. The logical fallacy is that, you know, there's often this this idea in people's minds and, and often in Tull songs of like things used to be good and now they're bad. Sure. That's a very ancient concept. You know, you know, there, uh, early on, I think one of the early writers had this idea of, oh, there used to be a golden age, and now we've kind of gone through the ages, and now we're oh yeah, now we're sort of living. That's a very, that's a very, very old concept. Oh, the ancients did it so well that you know, find that in, in Eastern culture as well, and it's all silly. We talked about that with like the Dark Ages, right? Isn't that yes? I think so. Yeah, and it's patently false. You know, things. Right. Things historically have always been improving for for mankind. You know, it goes up and down and up and down. On a super basic, like, boiled down level, it's the grass is always greener. Oh, the good old days. Exactly. However, I think that using reason makes me think of that he's referring to specifically the age of enlightenment when Europe was moving from the Middle Ages really through the Renaissance into into this era of like, wait a minute, let's, was it, was it Descartes? Who was like, wait a minute, let's actually just think mm. and base things on reason yeah, rather than like, you know, totally blindly following religion, totally blindly following these like these outdated modes of thinking. Yeah, tradition, just following tradition because right, that's exactly. the way it's been done. But I almost feel like Ian is saying, right, okay, Age of Enlightenment, good, but then we took the wrong course from there. So let's backtrack to there and then take huh. a better track. And I think there's a lot of value. I think there's, yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, maybe even simpler, enlightenment is good. Let's continue to try to be enlightened. You know, let's take a lesson from that. Right. But we have to reject all of these modern things that are destroying our souls, our, our sense of moral existence, our happiness, and the environment. Because we cannot be enlightened while that is happening. You know, it, it, it hinders it hinders enlightenment. And then the end of that verse is, you hold the reins of the apocalypse. It's in your control. You know, if everyone just gets vaccinated, if all the companies stop putting out carbon, start trying to make a difference, we could turn this shit around. Yeah. But horsey go fast. But horse go fast and car drive, vroom, vroom. And you got a vaccine, so I don't need a vaccine. And you're the sucker who got the vaccine. My horse is very, must be prettier than other horses. (laughs) My horse better than anyone else. So the next uh, verse, Nick, I had to break out the old dictionary. For atavistic? Actually, you know, yes. 
Okay. But I was also like, I want to make sure that I understand the word iniquity. I think I understand it, but let me make sure I understand it. So iniquity is an immoral or grossly unfair behavior. Yeah. Goes back to the Bible. Biblically, iniquity refers to sin, sin against God. I was, hey, a little history, a little history of Nick McGill here. It's the Nick Minute. I was an altar boy. And one of the things that I would do as an altar boy is you you walk over with the holy water for the priest to like dip his fingers in and you've got the little the little little napkin on your your arm so he can grab it and clean his hands. And what he says when he dips his fingers in, I hate, I don't know if I'm not supposed to say this. You can say it. Statute of limitations. I haven't been an altar boy in a very long time. He says, Lord, wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me of my sins. Oh, yeah. So that's how I know what iniquity is, because that is burned into my memory. Right. And I, I had always known the phrase den of iniquity. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I think I understood the phrase better than I understood the individual word. I understood that everywhere I went became a den of iniquity. I don't know how, though. I understood that that felt like home, but I didn't know why. So, yes, galvanize yourself to action, cast aside iniquity. You know, uh-huh. very, it's very biblical, actually. You know, sure. It's like cast away the sin you're of the way that you participate in the modern world. And the idea of the apocalypse is also biblical. I mean, it fits into a lot sure of cultures, is. but, I mean, we know Ian, Ian has uh, taken a shining to religious imagery, you know? Indeed, indeed. So atavistic. The atavistic voice has spoken. Okay, atavistic. Had to go to the dictionary for that one. 16th century word comes from the Latin atavus, which means forefather. So oh, okay. Atavistic means of or relating to or returning to something ancient. Ancestral. Ancestral. Yeah. But atavistic as as an adjective is characterized by the reversion to something. So going back yes, to it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So the atavistic voice is the one that says, go back, go back to the way things were. Right. Yeah. Which in some cases is great. Some cases not so great. But I mean- in in this instance, maybe that's what we need to be doing. The atavistic voice is very present in the song Heavy Horses. It's, sure. it's very present throughout the album Songs from the Wood. Yeah. Yeah. The I mean, these last three albums, sure. Yes. And I think that, you know, I think that as you get older, maybe you start remembering the the kind of things that your parents told you. And then you start thinking, oh, yeah, I should sort of try to do that. Yeah, there, there's a level of nostalgia and a level of of you reach a point where where the the atavistic, the ancestral wisdom starts to make sense, you know, yeah. because yeah, yeah, yeah. because when you're told it, it makes sense to the people who are telling you that. But you don't right. have the worldview to be like, well, yeah, maybe I Maybe I shouldn't do this thing. Or maybe I should change my oil every 3,000 miles. Maybe I do need a box spring instead of just a mattress on the floor. <laughs> That's what big box spring big, wants you to think. Yeah, my, my parents were in the, in the pocket of big box spring. <laughs> sure. 
Anything else, Omen? Just that, you know, I, I think the, the phrase, now print your names in history, is very interesting. It's like... Now print your names in history. It's a little bit of a different argument from the rest of the song. The rest of the song is, turn this boat around, because otherwise we're going to go over the waterfall of doom. Right, right. And the last thing is almost an appeal to the ego, saying like, look, you could be one of the few who actually stood up to this world destruction. Your name could go down in history. Oh. It's funny to me that there's a little bit of an appeal. Like, it's, it's, an, it's an appeal to reason. It's, a, it's an appeal to reason. It's, a, it's, you know, kind of raging against the machine, as it were. And then at the end, there's that little, almost like a last-ditch effort. Right, that's what I was going to say. Is it like, well, maybe none of this has worked, but maybe I can, uh, maybe I can tie into that that nugget that is still there and say, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, like, hey, you could you could get your fifteen minutes of fame if the world doesn't burn up. That's the way I interpret it. Yeah. I mean, I think that you know, again, we come, we've talked about this before. That you and I come from an acting background, and when you were trained in the art of thespianism. <laughs> Hot. I experimented with that in college. That, you know, you, you look for motivation in the text. And what's your, sure. what's your motivation? Yeah. What do you want? And then and then as you're, you know, as as the, the words are always in an effort to get what you want. Right. And your actions on stage are always an effort to get what you want. So I think that, you know, looking through this, that seems like a, ch- a slight change in tactic. Yes, absolutely. And right at the very end. Literally as he's riding away. Yeah. It's like he runs into, he comes into town on his horse. And he's like, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. The time is now. Yeah. Do it. You can make the difference. Yeah. This reminds me of the St. Crispin's Day speech. Oh, uh, okay. Henry V, Act 4, Scene 3, where at the very end of it, King Henry, you know, it's, 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 this, it's this huge thing there. It's the eve of the Battle of Agincourt. The English are fairly certain they're all going to get massacred. And he's rallying the troops. And at the very, very end, he says, We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speak that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. So it's like, we can do it. We will be gloried in history if we actually do this thing and everyone else will wish they were us. Yeah, it's the it's the call to arms. It's the appeal to ego and and glory and, glory and, and of honor. course, at the at the time, masculinity, you know, yeah. if you could rename this song using any of the words in the song itself, what would you name it? And, and I'll tell you why I'm asking that, because I think that my least favorite thing about this song is the title. Oh, interesting. Urban okay. Apocalypse. Oh, my God. It sounds like it sounds like a fast fashion store in the mall. Where'd you get those machines? Uh, Urban Apocalypse. Uh, Urban Apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. Isn't there something with Urban in the Urban Urban Outfitters? Outfit. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forever Apocalypse. Forever 21 Apocalypse. <laughs> Apocalypse 21. <laughs> Apocalypse Forever. I like maybe maybe atavistic voice. Oof. Yeah, that'll that'll get it on the radio. Uh, yeah, because that was always Tull's, Tull's modus operandi is to uh, to to make those radio hits. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I would say I would say riding back to yesterday. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like it. 
Oh, there's one other thing. It stands waiting in the slips. It being the apocalypse, what are the slips? No, reason being the apoc- being the, the it. Let reason reassume its seat. It stands waiting in the slips. Right, right. What are the slips? Oh, uh, is that just the side uh, on the theater? No, the slips are, um, it's a, it's a boat making term. Oh. The slips are the things that guide the ship. You build a ship in dry dock. You oh, yeah. And then you slip it into the ocean. And the slips are the things that it rides on. So if it's huh. waiting in the slips, it is ready to launch. Yeah. You just got to pull the, the stop locks and bust the champagne bottle and then. That's nice. In. That's really good imagery. I just think it's so cool. Yeah. That's really, really good imagery. Next week, our final track, bonus or otherwise, off of Stormwatch. Yeah. Another one that you have not heard before is Man of God. The forecast for next week is calling for Man of God with a slight chance of being sad (sighs) because it's the end of Stormwatch. But, I mean, we're getting right into A after that, so everybody's excited for that. A! A! It's A! And Nick... Finally, as we promised at the beginning, we have an exciting new little announcement. If you haven't signed up for Patreon yet, this is your sign that you should. It's super fun and it's super cheap. Nick, what is the exciting new feature of the Patreon? So our Patreon subscribers at Tull Skull Plus, just $5 a month, get access to, you already know they get access to Outtake Tull to me. They get access to the Discord. However, Last At the end of last year, we stopped recording Talk Tall with me because all of the correspondence was really going on in the Discord, which is a great resource. So Omen and I came up with another option, another bonus podcast for everybody. We are calling it Feckless. That's right. And Feckless is, for the time being, what we're doing is we are actually looking at some of the solo albums from Ian Anderson other band members, some of the albums that are adjacent to Tull, probably Talis is going to be on that list. And we are dedicating an episode or two to each of those albums. So, you know, obviously Talk Tall to Me is every single song that Jethro Tull ever released. Now we're kind of expanding to albums that are associated with Tull that we don't have the chance or it's not within our purview to talk about on this podcast. Very exciting. In addition to that, we've toyed with the idea of taking song suggestions from people on the Patreon who are suggesting things that are not Tull related at all. Yes. And we'll give them the talk Tull to me treatment, but just coming from an area that Omen and I really don't have the expertise in. But I mean, that's how we started. That's never stopped us before. (laughs) We've got that. And, you know, I think the the point is that when you subscribe to the Patreon, you, you have access to this conversation and the conversation really results in things like the new podcast feckless and the direction of that so you can really actually affect the the content that we create absolutely and and we are thinking of feckless as being much more broad and open and leaving room for it to evolve all over the place you can get in on the ground floor you'd be losing money (sighs) not to invest in this podcast so join in 
to the, the, the Patreon to get access to that. It's a lot of fun. In January, we covered Walk Into Light. That's right. Ian's first solo album. And it was, it was a good time. Yeah. It was a good time had by all. Spoiler alert. Until next week, whereas in the race of life in capitalism, there is no prize, you can give us the prize of five stars, which will bump up our ratings and make us more accessible to other listeners in the pod sphere. Turn the tables in the temple of Apple Podcasts by writing a positive review for us, which will be read by other cry the ringing <laughs> cry from your digital horseman back and warn oh, other people it. that they should start listening to Talk Tales. He lost it. I've never had it. <laughs> it was never, never mind to lose. Until next week. I am no messiah to change your views, Nick McGill. I am the breadless Q, Omen Said, because I don't do carbs. We are here to galvanize you into action as the feckless moms. And this is the ringing cry of progress. Talk tall to me. Here, here. Yes, here, here. Meeting called to order. Meeting called to order. This is yeah. a meeting of the uh, the overlords of the Holy Trinity of uh, Life Assurance, General Motors, and Silicon Efficiency. Yes, uh, yes, yes. We're here. Okay. Is everyone here? Uh, uh, silicon Efficiency, please, uh, please state your state your progress. Yes, uh, we have we have put we've put <laughs> chips and computers into all the hands, and uh, we've made them very dependent upon it. <laughs> I assume they're also incredibly expensive and unreliable. Oh, absolutely. They become obsolete within a year. They have to buy a new one. Everyone stands in line for no reason. It's yeah. glorious. Well, that's fantastic. Well, yeah, sure, sure. yeah, it's too bad you can't find a way to um, terribly pollute the atmosphere while you're doing that. Oh, no, we've been doing that right from the start. Yes. Oh, tremendous news. Tremendous. Oh, that's lovely. Lovely. Um, uh, General Motors. Yes, General Motors. Uh, what is your report uh, for this year? Cars are more expensive than they've ever been. They are a lot harder to get, which drives up the price thanks to the uh, the, the manufactured pandemic that we've created as oh, well. Oh, that's lovely. That's to lovely. To drive up the economy. And I know we were worried about the uh, about the, the train industry making taking away our profits, but has there has there been any um, any progress on on the destruction of trains? Trains. 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 Absolutely. They are. They are. All but obsolete. Trains. The, the vehicles are have become something of a status symbol for people, and some some families have two or three for no reason, but they keep buying them, so we keep putting them out. That's amazing. That's lovely. And then finally, uh, let's see uh, the report on things that people spend money on in huge quantity, for which if they don't, they are punished, but don't actually do anything positive for them. Uh, where's that department? Oh, oh, uh, life assurance is here, sir. Yes, yes, we're here. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, yes, let's hear your report. Well, um, we have fought very hard with the government to, uh, to fight the subsidies for, for life assurance, but, uh, they, they are being persistent. However, the life assurance that we are offering during government assistance is 
absolute garbage. And it's very difficult to get. Yes. And, um, and Peaky, Peaky, please make a note that we need to purchase more of the government. Yes, all right. Uh, writing that down now. Purchase more of the government. Uh, pretty good. Yes. Thank you, Peaky. Uh, well, that concludes... Oh, I... This is a closed meeting. You can't come in here. Who's... What, who is that? Oh, my God. Oh, dear God. Who is this? Who is this? Is, who's coming? Oh, that stinking long hair and that flute. You can't ride a horse into here. The time has come for you to recognize that Tactile to me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. <laughs> <laughs> my tables. <laughs> <laughs>